Welcome to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for SB Nation's UnderdogDynasty.com, G5 football community, the best one on the internet, really. Um, welcome back to the Conference USA edition of the program. Regular season is over, as hard as it is to believe. Uh, week 13 just wrapped up. The Conference USA Championship is set. Um, it just absolutely flew by, and I'm a little sad that it's over. But we have one final week to recap. Uh, we're also going to do a little bit of a mailbag here today. Um, give a little kind of a general review of the year. We'll, we'll do that a little more deep. Uh, do that a little deeper on a, another episode. Um, but thank you for joining us. My name is Joe Lundergan. I'm the Western Kentucky blogger over at UnderdogDynasty.com. And with me is... Uh, the self-proclaimed troll of the year, uh, former Old Dominion kicker punter, Satchel Ziffer. How are you today, sir? Excuse me. I have been called by multiple people the <laughs> troll of the year. It's not a self-proclaimed. Um, you know, I, I, I accept the award humbly, but yeah, I'm doing fantastic, Joe. How about yourself? I'm great. Um, I, I'm just trying to imagine your acceptance speech for troll of the year award. I'd like to thank the Academy. Uh, the no, Academy. <laughs> I'd like to thank North Texas for just being so easy to destroy on a daily basis. <laughs> oh, Here we go again. Um, without further ado, then. I'm pretty sure they don't re- listen to us anymore. Anyway, I think they just got so fed up. I, I don't. I don't even know that that's necessarily true. I mean, we we have a few uh, loyal North Texas fans who know it's all in jest. Um, yeah. But, the, I mean, there are one or two who take it seriously. But for those of you that stuck around, you're great. You're cool. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for understanding that I was not <laughs> – I'm just kidding with everyone. Kind of. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> without further ado, then, we'll go ahead and recap uh, the week that was in week 13. On the Friday night game there, Florida International defeated the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers 41-17. to uh, This game was one of those – where it was pretty even in the first half, but Western's mistake. Well, Come on, Joe. Talking's hard. Uh, English. What's that? Uh, Western's mistakes just really piled up in the second half. Uh, three turnovers on the day, plus two misses by kicker Ryan Nuss. And then, of course, Western's offensive line had another terrible day, giving up five sacks and getting just 46 yards on the ground. Uh, give it up to FIU. They score on three of their final five possessions to put some distance between them and the tops. Also had a scoop and score by special teamer Devontae Price when WKU fumbled on a fake punt. That's probably the clip from that game that got passed around the most. Um, and then to add insult to injury, uh, Stone Wilson, Panthers kicker, threw, or holder rather, threw a touchdown pass on a fake field goal. So WKU's... An interesting thing about him really quick. Sure. He's like YouTube famous. Apparently, like he he has like a like a billion followers or something on YouTube. He like blogs their day every day. So if you guys are interested in watching what a college football player does on the daily basis, uh, look him up on YouTube. I think. Stone sure. Wilson, are Stone Wilson? Really? Okay. Yeah. Here, um, I'll find I'll find his uh, information really quick if anyone wants to look it up. Yeah, his name's just Stone Wilson on here. He has. Oh, it's not. Never mind. It's not as many as I thought, but still, he gets like a. He gets over, like, 100,000 views per video, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're interested more in the uh, daily goings-on of FIU's, uh, well, now backup quarterback, it looks like, uh, go ahead and check that out. But um, 
As a result of this one, WKU's regular season wraps up with a 6-6 six and six record. FIU are 7-4 and four with uh, one game left to play. At this point, with how it's looking, if it came down to uh, who do you send to, to a bowl game between this Western team and this Florida International team, i got to say the Panthers right now. Uh, I would agree. Um, the game. <laughs> Life. I, I don't know. It's, um, it's going to be interesting. We're going to allude to it later, but... There's just too many teams right now, and it looks like it's gonna. There's gonna be multiple six and six teams that could not make a game. Yeah, it's it's another thing. Like you said, we're gonna dive into this topic a little deeper later in the show. But with ten bowl eligible teams, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because there's only eight spots right now. So yeah, somebody's getting left out, and I would think you got to give it to the teams A that have the head-to-head matchups, and B just have more wins. Total. Well, the sad thing is that's not how it goes, though. I mean, we're going off TV market. These bowl games, they want the they want the team that are going to give them the most money. Yeah, you know, like in in viewing and everything. So, yeah, and you want the teams with the highest TV markets. That's why, like, say an Old Dominion team was six and six against the Western Kentucky. You'd probably see Old Dominion get it solely based on the fact that there's a larger tele- television market. Than there is if for Nor- uh, Western Kentucky, just because of where Norfolk is, and there's not really much going on here <laughs> past that. So it's just, um, and it kind of comes down to a bunch of things. But don't, if your team isn't uh, put in a bowl game and you are bowl eligible, it's not because you're not the better team. It has to do with business too. That's true. The the almighty dollar rules all in D1 exactly. athletics. Uh, we'll jump into the recap of uh, North Texas and Rice then. Uh, mean Green win that one 30-14 in the battle of the CUSA-Texas teams. Uh, UNC overcame some early issues with their offense in the first half. Jeffrey Wilson didn't play with an ankle injury, and uh, unfortunately for them, looks like he'll miss the Conference USA uh, championship game as well with that injury. And uh, But in his absence, running back Nick Smith had a hell of a day with 26 carries, 178 yards, and a touchdown. A um, little bit of a scary moment for Rice in this game. Samuel Stewart, one of the Owls running backs, had to be uh, carted off and taken to a local hospital with a head injury. It looked like he just got knocked out cold. But uh, he's apparently been released from the hospital, according to the uh, Houston Chronicle, and he'll receive further medical treatment from the team. So some good news there. Um, but yeah, definitely Wish not. him the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's always it, scary for him, the family, the team, everything. I mean, football is a contact sport. You can see things that just, you know, could really, like, you know, hurt someone for their entire life. I mean, look at uh, Rutgers, Eric LeGrand. So I'm glad to hear that he is out of the hospital. I was worried about him. Yeah, for sure. And, again, you don't. that's not how you want your season to end anyway, even if you've only won, especially if you've only won one game, you don't want to have a, you know, life-affecting injury. Exactly. On top so, of that, too. Yeah. Um, and... Now, as Rice finishes the year 1-11, the university has officially fired head coach David Bailiff, and he had been there 11 years and went 57-80 and 80 in that time. So uh, Rice gets added to the uh, ever-exciting coaching carousel. Yay! Which is, <laughs> hey, at least I, I got the guy I wanted, for UF at least, so I'm happy. So. Yeah, uh, Dan Mullen getting the uh, Florida job there. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if that pans out, but, uh, cause I mean, you don't think it will, I, it's not that I don't think it's not that I don't have faith. I think he was the best man for the job, but I don't know. The sec is just weird. And Florida's a hard, Florida seems like it's 
getting harder to win there as the years kind of go by. But it, we'll see. I, I think we just have... we can't. We've never developed a quarterback since Tebow. So right. hey, he's the he's the guy that developed. He developed Tebow. He developed Cam Newton. I mean, he developed Dak Prescott. I mean, that's all we really need. Our defense has always been decent. It's a really good. So it, it'll be interesting. But I just you know I always have to have faith. But we're a basketball conference anyway. So <laughs> three in the top ten, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're crushing uh, it. Yeah. So Dan Mullen will probably have a good. Uh, he'll have a good run at Florida, but moving from somebody who's already having a good run, Bill Clark at UAB, uh, he's he gets the victory 28-7 to over UTEP to close out the regular season there. So a dominant win by the Blazers, 23 first down to UTEP's 10. Uh, what's impressed me about UAB's progression this year has been how they've managed to clean up the penalties. Um, they only had three in this game, getting, you know, 10 plus in some of the early games uh blazer backfield combined for 175 yards rushing in this one uh, aj early ran for a touchdown also threw for 159 yards and two touchdowns for utap they finish winless at 0 and 12 and that's the first time that has happened in this league since 2012 when uh, southern miss did it um and now I'm just connecting the conspiracy theory dots in my head. They finished 0 and 12. Last time it happened was in 2012, which has 0 and 12 in it. Um, dun dun dun. <laughs> uh, while UTEP continues to look for its next coach, the exodus of players has already begun. Uh, sophomore running back Kevin Dove announced on Monday that he will transfer. Um, so it's madness in El Paso right now as they are more than likely going to have to start replacing some people that are, you know, getting the heck out of Dodge. Um, yeah. but, um, good news for UAB. They are officially going to the Bahamas bowl and, um, to cap <laughs> off, you know, you gotta be really happy for them with everything they've been through and having an awesome year this year, you get to end it with a vacation in the Bahamas. Are you kidding me? That's exactly. So cool. dude. Yeah. I was so, I was so jealous last year that ODU went there. Right after I left, because yeah. <laughs> when we when we were there, we were thinking we were gonna go to like the New Mexico Bowl or something. We were like, oh god, this could be terrible. <laughs> right, but so. uh, yeah, with getting to go to Nassau, they have kind of a tough matchup in Ohio. Which uh, luckily, one of the questions we got this week was about that game. So we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the Blazers later in the show. Um, no other bowl games have been confirmed yet, but uh, you can be sure that we will preview them once those become official. FAU kept it rolling this week with a 31-12 win over a pretty bad Charlotte team. Uh, so the Owls finished the season unbeaten in conference play, uh, already have the spot in the championship game locked up. Uh, looking very strong right now. Jason Driscoll was 18-22 for 245 yards. Devin Singletary had 19 carries for 106 yards and two touchdowns. FAU's second-half performance, though, apparently had Lane Kiffin a little steamed. Uh, two lost fumbles and two turnover on downs in that time. Uh, Kiffin didn't let him sing the fight song in the uh, in the locker room after the win, which I guess has become kind of a tradition for them. But he said, "Nope, you guys didn't do uh, didn't do very well." So um, don't close out a game, man. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, they you know I I guess they just had already built up enough cushions, so maybe they took their foot off the gas a little bit. But at the same time, like you. <laughs> If you win by double digits, you got to be pretty happy with yourself. But regardless of that, the Owls still in pretty good shape. So what did you think of that game? I mean, I, I knew – I mean, it wasn't like Charlotte was going to come out and win this one. But, um, no, FAU obviously just playing a good – they're a good team. They're a good, they're a good team. 
Um, I think Devin Singletary is the real deal. We'll see him in the league in the next few seasons. Uh, I don't, I see the one thing I think that is going to change and you guys could hate me for this. I know now that I, now that I'm seeing everything, I don't think Lane Kiffin is going to leave this year. So I think he'll be back for another season. Um, I think he's just kind of happy and he's fine with kind of just not having like all eyes on him at all times. I mean, I read a Tennessee excerpt or an excerpt about him at Tennessee where he was just not happy because there was so much pressure on him at all times to be like the cover head of that team too. And he just wants to coach. So I think he's found like his niche here. Um, so, you know, look for FAU to be back next year with Lane Kiffin. I know we said this whole season he wouldn't be there, but I'm, I actually think he will be. Uh, I think the one thing that needs to change is I think they need to find a better quarterback. I think Jay, Jason Driscoll's good, but I don't think he's, he's like, if they had a, if they had like a, a better quarterback than him, like someone that was just, I, I, I can't explain it. I might have some like type of, you know, hatred towards the Driscolls in general just because of his older brother in Florida. But it looks like FAU's going to probably win the championship and then probably win it again next year. And then I'll just have to go cry myself to sleep every night. Uh, the quarterback issue, I feel like, will kind of fix itself in time given how strong of a recruiter uh, Kiffin can be. And the, I don't know what you even call it, it's just crazy how much good talent is in that south florida area alone so they'll find somebody and given well i i expect them to actually what would happen is just because i think driscoll's a sophomore this year or a junior he'll come back what they'll do is they'll bring in someone from a juco uh one of those mississippi ones probably and just see and just have them compete and they'll probably get a uh, they'll get another dual threat guy uh that will like kind of complement devin singletary and that whole running game uh and see what happens I think I, that, I, that's what I think. I think they're going to go. I think they want to become more of an option team anyways. He wants to. So we'll see. Yeah, that would be immensely entertaining if they had um, even more of a like, crazy rushing attack. If they had two op- if they had, uh, you know, a quarterback who could carry the ball as well as Devin Singletary, who I agree with you. I think he's going to be uh, something special moving forward. Yeah. Um, that being said, we need to talk about this Charlotte football program a little bit now that Mm -hmm. their season is officially over. Um, So we learned over the weekend that defensive coordinator Matt uh, Matt Wallerstedt, quarterback coach Jeff Mullen, and receivers coach Damon Gary were fired. That's Stan Mullen's son, by the way. A little bit of trivia there for you. Just kidding. uh, I have no clue. Oh, he's not? I was lying. I'm so sorry. I was lying. Damn it, Satchel. (laughs) (laughs) But head coach Brad Lambert is being retained for a sixth season. Uh, Which is ridiculous. I agree. Since restarting the football program in 2014, the Charlotte 49ers are 17-40. and 40. That's not good for people that don't know numbers. But uh, Jared Kalmus, our assistant site manager over at UDD, wrote a really great article this week highlighting all the stats uh, that show just how bad this program is. So I implore all of you to go check that out on underdogdynasty.com. Basically, despite all those losses that he had in the first few years... Lambert's had nine years total on his contract with the years that have already gone by and the four years that are left on his contract. He's got nine years of job security and he's yet to have a winning season. If you're Charlotte's athletic director, why are you setting this kind of standard? Why are, why are you giving nine years of job security to a guy that has shown that he cannot win and he cannot recruit? 
why are you even throwing money at a football program at this point? It's it's crazy to me. I don't I don't get it. I don't get what they're doing at all. I just think that um I mean, we talked I talked about this in an earlier podcast, you know. They made the wrong decision going to FBS. I mean, they did. I mean, they're not a FBS team. I mean, they lose to FCS teams. Um I think to an extent they're solely having this football team as a way the school is to, you know, get some, you know, more people to go, go to their school. I don't know. You know, I can't explain why they do, why they're, why they're a football team in general. Like if you're going to, if you know, I guess their whole motto might be, their mantra might be, uh, if it's not fixed, don't, don't, don't fix it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if, if it's broken, don't fix it. You know, I, I, I don't know, man. If I it's, If it's broken, don't fix it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> don't, like, what the hell? Like, it just, I don't know, man. I, it's uh, just like, it's, it sucks because, you know, you, you see these kids and not to be mean because there are some really talented players on that Charlotte team and there have been, but, you know, they're taking kids that are FCS caliber at best and they're expecting them to compete with these guys that are just way better. They're just, you know, it's like, it's like putting, putting like, you know, <laughs> well, even FAU into like the SEC and then saying, okay, just keep, continue to recruit CUSA tech caliber guys and compete with the SEC. It, it doesn't happen. It's never going to happen. So I don't, you know, maybe there must be some ulterior motives. Maybe they don't have the money to buy him out of his contract or something, but I mean, I guess, I don't but know. I I'm pretty sure in the last couple years, I don't know the exact year, but they gave him an extension, and he hadn't he hadn't even produced a winning <laughs> season yet. Yeah, they just might like brokenness. There's a line in one of the first couple seasons of BoJack Horseman on Netflix where his girlfriend makes a comment that says, "When your relationship colorblind." all the red flags just look like flags. And I feel like that's what's going on with Charlotte's athletic director and the football program right now. Yeah. Like, and, and I understand like last year, like there was a little bit of hope. They went four and eight. They won against Marshall. They won against Florida Atlantic. They, they won a couple games and they were close in a couple games, but dude, you, you, you can't be cool with mediocrity. I mean, you see most of the fans in COSA, and I see ODU fans on the blogs and the forums. They're angry. They're calling for them to fire Coach Wilder when he's done everything right for this program in just one bad year, man. One bad year and at five and seven. And it's just uh, – exactly. you, know, you, you need to have higher standards. And um, maybe – I mean, I know there's not a huge following of Charlotte football, but, dude, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> If you're gonna have a football team, if you're gonna put the money into it, you're gonna expend all those assets to you know, field a team, have 95 scholarship players. You know, at least take some care and you know have some type of pride in it. Right. There's a difference between being overreactionary, which happens with college football fans a lot. <laughs> yes, and just flat out being okay with mediocrity. And if that's the case then like don't throw money at an FBS football program it makes yeah. zero Take zero it, go sense. down to FC, go down to FCS at least be able to compete like 
I, I don't know what to say, man. Because I, I feel bad. I feel bad for those guys that are, you know, talented players on a team that just they there's there's no there's no like oh well we'll be better next year. So right, uh-huh. right. It it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. And I, I feel like we've kind of just said all there is to say about it at this point. And you can only say that it doesn't make sense so many ways. So if anyone wants to tweet us, we'll we'll give your our Twitters later, but. I would like to just hear some, you know, Charlotte fans, if there's any listening, they're, what they think about this all, because it is, it's really interesting. It's it's just, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I feel bad because, you know, it seems like that they're the only team. They're, like, I mean, UTEP understands that, <laughs> like, they had to fire him. They, you know, it has to happen. This stuff has to happen. Right, and if if you want to tweet at either of us about that topic, feel free. But um, I kind of took it upon myself to kind of read the replies to Jared's article and take a little stroll through uh, 49er fan Twitter myself. And they all pretty much agreed with the sentiment of Jared's article, which is why even bother having an FBS program if you are okay with what Lambert's producing. Yeah. And they're all like, yeah, we don't – we." You know, so there's graffiti on the campus saying, you know, fire the AD whose name is escaping me. But, like, they, they all generally agree with the fact that, like, if we're going to have a football program, like, care about it from an athletic department standpoint. It's, ugh. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you, yeah. That's my feelings about how that football program is being handled by that administration right now. Just, ugh. But, anyway. And it looks like they're just, like, they schedule these big games against big teams, and I think they're only doing it just to get the money back. Like, I, sorry, I, I'm just frustrated at you guys. <laughs> sorry. Because, like, like, it, it, just, it puts a bad stigma on the rest of the conference. I mean, we could have easily, we could have easily gotten a team like Liberty or JMU in the conference, and they would have been they would have competed right away. Yeah. And I feel like if there's a no context tweet that should be pinned to your profile, it's just, I'm just frustrated with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's our piece on that. Um, we'll move on to what I thought was the best game of the week in uh, Southern Miss and Marshall. Uh, USM won that one 28 to 27. Um, I'm pretty sure we said this was going to be the best game of the week on the last podcast. Uh, Southern Miss led by a score or led by a touchdown with uh, two and a half minutes left. And then Marshall actually managed to go 58 yards for the score. But then they go for two. Yeah, they went for two, and they didn't get it. So congrats to the Southern Miss defense coming up clutch on that last play. Uh, they're able to force three turnovers against a very good Marshall offense. And they were the difference maker in that one, you know, keeping uh, – keeping Chase Litton from converting those drives into more points and then coming up huge when it mattered. Yeah, and, and Southern Miss has gone like a really quiet 8-4. and four. I didn't realize they were 8-4. Right. and four. I thought they were 6-6, six and six, to be honest. So that's awesome. Good no, for them, no. especially after last year's debacle. Good good job, guys. Um, it looks like a team that's going to be you know competitive. You know, It's going to be an exciting year next year, too. So For sure. And they're one of these teams that I think is like, like you were talking about it, they're accomplishing a lot and playing very well, but they're kind of getting overshadowed by a, the two programs in FAU and rice who have obviously gotten to nine wins and secured a spot in the championship game. Um, and then the other, 
what did I say? Rice. Oh, God. Um, yes, North Texas and FAU, who have had great years and gotten to the championship game. Um, but And they're also being overshadowed by, like, the stories of disappointment around the league, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, Southern Miss fans and Southern Miss football team, we see you. You're doing good. Keep it up. You'll have a, you'll be in contention next year, I think. And then I think they'd be the front runner next year, I would assume. They definitely have that potential. Okay, let's go on to the next one. All right. Um, yeah, I can tell you're really looking forward to talking about this game. Middle Tennessee, 41, Old Dominion, 10. Uh, MTSU clinches bill eligibility with that victory. Don't know if they actually get one with that because that's just their sixth win, but we'll see. Um, and then on the MTSU side of things, I think in this game is what a lot of people uh, a lot of Blue Raider fans expected this offense to look like had they remained healthy all year. Brent Stock still threw three touchdowns, 266 yards on 21 completions uh, out of 30 attempts, and he also threw uh, two interceptions. But uh, Terrell West complemented that performance with 170 yards on the ground and two touchdowns, almost 600 yards of total offense in that game for MTSU. Uh, but it may be too little too late in terms of getting to a bowl game. Uh, so... That's kind of my wrap-up of how MTSU performed in this game. Uh, Satchel, give me your thoughts on ODU's performance in this one. Awful. I mean, I can't even really explain it. I mean, our defense our defense looked like it was going to be better this year. Um, we're still having the same problems. I like I like Coach Nagy. As our, I like him as a person, but I think at some point you got to start maybe reevaluating that whole situation. Because obviously that defense isn't working. I mean, like I even said it earlier in an earlier podcast, third downs, we, we, we stop them first and second and give up a huge third down. Uh, I, I just don't even know what to say. I, it looked like the team wasn't even there. Like they didn't even want to play that game. It, it I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't even really explain it. Our quarterback, we had, you know, the confusion with the quarterbacks. I mean, Blake LaRusso started the game. And like a couple weeks ago, starting the game, took him, took the team down the field, scored, and then they benched him again. They put in uh, Stevie Williams, and um, I have nothing against Stevie Williams, but dude, it wasn't working. And they, we didn't score for the next like four drives until, you know, they just got a late one. Like so, I, and then they put Blake Larusa back in the game later. And I think Stevie Williams had a concussion or, or uh, injury of some type, but. I don't know. I think our quarterback plays have been so, we've been so privileged with our quarterbacks the last few years or even since the beginning of the program that, you know, it's hard not having one right now. And we're trying to develop Stevie. And I know Coach Whitcomb's in a, a fantastic quarterback coach. and He's really great at developing our quarterbacks. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to have to bring in a guy that's going to, you know, compete and not a JUCO kid. That's because most of the JUCO kids they get at a quarterback have been, you know, dual threats that haven't panned out. So we need a guy that's a pure passer. I mean, we need a guy like uh, the dude from Wyoming, Josh Can't Allen. Remember. Josh Allen, something like that. Hopefully, they kind of address those situations because I mean, I I agree with you and what you've kind of said all year about Stevie Williams in that the talent and like the capability is there, but he's just so young. He's so raw. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's raw talent. It's, it's, you know, he's a, he's an athletic kid, but you know, it's just, it's not working yet. It hasn't. And maybe it will, hopefully next year it will. I mean, losing Jonathan Duhart, who was, you know, far and beyond one of the best wide receivers in CUSA, 
that hurt. That hurt the whole season, having all the injuries happen. Um, offensive line kind of going through some problems, too. I mean, it's all hurt. But the fact that he's thrown almost more interceptions than he has touchdowns this season, it's just it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's bad. One, the one positive and the one thing I will say is I want to say congratulations. I don't, Ray doesn't listen to this, but Ray Lowry finished his career at ODU. Me and him came in together in the recruiting class. He finishes with over 4,000 yards rushing. He is the Virginia College uh, rushing leader. He has the record now. Congratulations to him. He's had a fantastic career. I'd love to see him in the NFL, hopefully. Do you think that's a possibility? I think he's a fantastic runner, and I've seen him do things I've never seen any other running back do. Um, the problem with him is he's uh, he, he's not flexible, so he's prone to injury, and he kind of runs in a weird way, which I think scouts will see, and that might turn him off from the whole thing. But when you get when that kid gets, he can read the blocks perfectly, and when he gets in open space, no one's going to catch him. So. I think it, I think he'll get a chance. I don't think he'll be drafted. I think he'll be a free agent, and I just hope he takes the most of his chance once he gets there. Okay. An impressive career from Ray Lowry comes to an end with that loss, uh, as well as uh, overall kind of a disappointing year for Old Dominion. But uh, I personally have hope for where that team can go in the future, um, and we'll see once, uh, once the summer starts rolling around again. Uh, be here quicker than you think. But uh, one more game we got to recap from last week. Uh, Louisiana Tech beat UTSA 20-6. to uh, I will say pretty good performance by Tech as they got that important sixth win. Uh, Boston Scott turned in 138 yards on 20 carries with a touchdown. UTA's offense was – or UTSA, their offense was just bad. Uh, barely 200 <laughs> yards total, two interceptions by Dalton Sturm. As a result of UTSA's offensive, struggled, uh, offensive struggles this year, um, offensive coordinator Frank Skelfo has been relieved of his duties. So that's where that program stands right now. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. UTSA, hey, that's still a good year compared to the, the years you guys have had in you know recent past. I think other than last year, I think you guys had a good season last year. I forget. I believe be they, they went to a bowl game. Yeah, so so um, you guys are looking up. Um, beginning of the season, definitely from, ne- or from, that, from now to from the beginning of the season, definitely let down. But, I mean, you got to have hope, and you guys have a good fan base. I think the, uh, the students are getting more involved, which is awesome to see. Uh, you guys have a cool stadium, so that's cool. <laughs> uh, in 2016, like we were talking about, they were 6-7, and 5-3 and three in uh, Conference USA. That was Frank Wilson's first year. Um, and I think they're in a good place with Frank Wilson. Um I, I think he'll bring in somebody who can get the job done, and I think this team is just going to get better. Yeah, um, definitely. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, especially in the place where their defense is. Their defense is good. Um, they just you know, they just had a few too many misfires on the offensive side of the ball this year. But uh, Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator for the Roadrunners, is just doing a fantastic job. So I, I think that program's headed in the right direction, um, just – kind of a disappointing uh tail end of the year this year because i thought they started really well and then just kind of you know turned in one too many flat days so yeah cool so that wraps up the week 13 recap um if there's anything else we can talk about that or we can just jump into the q a i think we're good all right cool 
All right, so we went to Twitter and asked you guys to uh, throw some questions our way this week uh, since we don't have very much to preview since we just have uh, uh, one game in the Conference USA Championship and then FIU hosting UMass in a makeup game. Um, so we'll go ahead and answer some of your questions. I will say some of you guys gave us some actually pretty good ones, um, but we'll start with uh, with this one that uh, Jared threw at us um, for Satchel. What separates a good punter from a great punter? Uh, there's a couple things, I mean, at least in my opinion, that would change it. Um, uh, you're obviously <laughs> average is a big one. Your uh, average punt length, but also uh, how many punts are returned, uh, the net average. So after return, um, you'll see the best punters in the country are the ones that, you know, they don't get the ball returned at all. I mean, uh, look at Alabama. J.K. Scott hasn't had a single ball, I think, a single punt returned on him this year. That's because he gets the hang time, hang time, uh, you know, length. But then also, um, a lot of it has to do with the coverage unit. I mean, I, I mean, I had some good years, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about ODU, but I had last or my final season, the last like five games in a row, I, I was averaging over 45 yards a punt, and they still returned it for 10 to 15 yards, and I was still, I was having a four three four four average on punts. Uh, they were still being able to return because the return or our coverage unit wasn't getting down the field. Our gunners weren't getting down there fast enough. Um, so, but just just solely on punting, uh, how fast is their get off speed? Their operation time? So how fast from snap to kick? So the average the average length or the average OP time should be around a 2.05 in the league. Uh, it gets a little faster for teams in you know ACC, which like mine my my biggest problem is from going from ODU to BC was my operation time. It was um I was like used to maybe like a like a two two oh seven. Uh, I had to get down to like a one nine eight. So that that does make a huge difference. Uh, operation time, which leads to no blocks. Um, understanding where to place it. Uh, when you run out on the field, punter doesn't have. You'll, the the big thing for a punter is you you think they're just punting it randomly they're just punting it down the field no we have the side we're supposed to punt it to we have where we're supposed to punt it to how far what kind of punt we're supposed to do um, so like say you know ODU used to have a we had a Richie call which meant right our Richie that was easy uh, that meant our gunners were all gonna kind of angle like our left gunner was gonna angle to the left or to the right our our gunner on the right side was running that way the whole coverage unit was going that way. So if you put it in the right place every time, uh, your unit was going to be down there to be able to tackle. Um, so being able to place the right way, hang time, making sure not to get blocked. Those are the big things. That's about as in-depth of a breakdown on punting yeah. that you can get. So You know, you know, who the, you know who the best punter I ever saw in like real life, like in a game, was? Who's that? Uh, Dalton Shop from FAU. That kid was so good. I do not know how he's not in the NFL right now. That kid, oh my God, he hit like a five-three hang on us in a game, and he was the funniest thing. He was he was warming up from his twenty-yard line, and like this is warm up, so you just punt it wherever. I mean, no one really like hates on each other, but he was warming up at like the tw- actually yeah, it was like the twenty-yard line, punting it down, and he was punting it in like behind our end zone. He was punting him ninety yards, eighty yards. It it, it was just unbelievable. And, you know, like if you ever like if you like punting, you should watch that kid's highlight tape because it is ridiculous. <laughs> what was his name again? There's Dalton Shomp. Dalton Shomp. OK, so I'm there's not some pretty more sure. homework. 2014, he led the country in average. He was the number one punter in the country. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, that, and that that's unfortunate because you know that team was awful, but he he made it. He made <laughs> he won the field position battle every single time. And I know you guys don't think that special teams is really that necessary of a thing to do, but hey, man, when you when you can pin them within their twenty yard line, you put their percentage of scoring at such a lower percentage. You know, it, there's a there's like an actual like statistic behind how much like where a team starts and their chance of scoring a touchdown. So, for all you aspiring punters out there, there's some uh, some highlights you need to go watch. And um, I hope you're taking notes on uh, Satchel's break down there. Yeah. Yeah, go watch mine on YouTube. They're there. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. Um, there's a, between um, that and then Stone Wilson. There's uh, definitely a lot of YouTube homework that we're giving the audience right now. Yeah, and that kid, that kid's a really good punter too. Actually, he's good. He could be great. So. Stone Wilson, you mean? Yeah, he's a really good punter. Okay. If you are UTEP or Rice, what type of coach do you target? With both of these teams. I think it serves them well to go with an offensive-minded guy right now. That should be the biggest priority. And also, with both of these teams, you need someone who can actually like make use of the gold mine uh, in terms of recruiting that is the state of Texas. And I'm leaning more towards offense because, mostly because of UTEP. If you look at UTEP stats from this year, defensively in terms of especially like the pass game they really weren't that bad it was just the fact that like that offense couldn't score um if you if you have a defense out on the field too much it it doesn't matter who you play you're gonna lose that's exactly right um so with that in mind i think graham harrell and ty detmer are two extremely strong candidates for either job um but i i say those guys because as it's kind of been brought up in every column that's approached this subject uh they're both west texas guys um and they both kind of run offenses where you know they can work if you don't have certain elements there um and you know it's they're not going to be like an amazing complete team right away um and then for the rice job i think kurt roper actually kind of makes a lot of sense that's a name that got thrown out there in the last uh, few days um he is south carolina's offensive coordinator right now he is a former rice quarterback and i think that can work so there's three names i think um i think should be in strong consideration for both of these jobs all right so yeah i i agree um at least on the sentiment with utep uh but both teams offense you need you need a team that can at least sustain some point of a drive so that your defense isn't just completely tired by the end of the game. Um, for me, I think my biggest candidate for any of these, you know, G5 teams that need a coach, I, I, dude, I think Will Healy is a real deal. And I think especially for a team like UTEP that needs a guy that can just completely revitalize the program, completely change the culture, and do everything right and just do it his way, Will, Will Healy of uh, Austin PA has done just a like smash up job in every sense <clears throat> i also think they need to kind of both programs need to kind of reassess their strength and conditioning guys because i think um believe it or not strength and conditioning has a lot to do with how good a team is how disciplined a team is um so i think they need to look at that too but i think will healy i know he won't get hired by either team but i think especially in the next year or two maybe even at the end of this season He'll be someone that is going to be going to a G5 team very soon, 
I mean, he he took an Austin P team that maybe has won two games in the last five years or four years, and he he went seven and four with them this year. He That's should have been. They should turnaround. be. Yeah. Yeah, they should have been in the playoffs, and this is his first season. They should have been in the playoffs too, or second season, second. Sorry. Um, they should have been in the playoffs. They got kind of screwed on that note. Sorry, guys. Um, but you know, yeah, he. I. I, I think. I think especially with UTEP, you need someone that's willing to come in and completely change the culture, completely change everything. Because I think those players probably are a little sick of it, too. Mm -hmm. And they need someone that's going to be, you know, not only just a coach. Because I think Kugler was probably a, um, pardon my French, hard ass. Um, You need someone that's going to kind of be, you know, uh, a player's coach. And he is. Mm -hmm. But not too much of a player's coach where they're going to be so undisciplined. So... Um, just someone that's going to change the culture. But I, I agree, offensively, you need an offensive mind. For sure. So. And I think one thing to kind of tag onto that, I mean, A, with recruiting, you can't really, like, underestimate how much of a draw a younger coach would be. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, B, with what we're kind of starting to see with guys leaving uh, UTEP in particular – you got to have somebody who is going to have the capability to bring uh, some grad transfers in, bring in some JUCO kids that can immediately replace what you're going to lose by kids who are going to say, oh, I don't want to play for the coach. I don't want to play for a coach that didn't recruit me originally or I don't you yeah. know, want to be a part of a rebuild or, or anything like that. That's going to happen. So I think any coach that can kind of give you a leg up on tackling that situation is is a good uh, is a good target. Well, that's that's why I think FCS the ways to go, especially oh, yeah. with the JUCO, JUCO kids. You're gonna FCS recruits JUCO heavily, so you're gonna have and Will Healy's a young guy. He's like I want to say thirty. He's like thirty years old. He's young. He's there. I mean, him, Graham Harrell, those guys are what you're gonna want. You're gonna and. You want someone that's going to do that. I mean, uh, the best the best kind of thing I can even say is that you need someone young because look at how much social media, look how much all that affects recruiting nowadays. I mean, look how good Lane Kiffin, uh, can't even think of Harbaugh, all those guys are at social media. All that like they're 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 in tune, they're young, they're willing to, you know. I mean, not what's Lane Kiffin as much, but they do in Harbaugh. But you know that does play it dramatic effect and you want someone young that you know the players can actually relate relate to so i would assume that i 100 percent agree um on that note we'll jump into this question which I, i'm pretty sure we'll probably have different answers for but okay. uh who's been who's been the biggest disappointment in conference usa this year um i think you're gonna say western kentucky <laughs> I yes I am. Um, so for me, there were a few. When I think about disappointments in the league this year, there were a few for a few different reasons. Um, you know, whether it be um, people getting hurt or people unable to kind of you know fulfill the like m- you know big expectations we had for them or, or anything like that, um, or coaches getting fired, that kind of thing. But honestly, just in terms of underperforming, I, I do have to give it to Western Kentucky. And I know you're going to say it's you know, bias or whatever. But re- if you kind of look at where that program's been in the last couple of years compared to where they are now, I think they're the biggest disappointment this year at six and six. I know it's Mike Sanford's first year. I know the offensive line's young. I know there were some injury issues, but when you look at the complete body of work, they should not have lost Illinois. 
They should not have only barely beaten UTEP. And should have lost to ODU. <laughs> well, that's another discussion. But <laughs> and they definitely should have beaten this FIU team this week. And that running game has to improve in the offseason, first of all. They only had 793 yards in the ground this year. Any guess on where that ranks in terms of uh, Division One football team, Satchel? I'm going to say dead last. Dead last. Dead freaking last. So if they don't find some way to replace that production that Mike White had against all odds this year with an offensive line that allowed the fifth most sacks in all of college football this year, they are absolutely screwed. I'm just, I, you know, it's biased too. It's all to you. Um, and I mean, you might, you guys all might say I'm biased too, but dude, that team, I said it when I got there, that team, I thought three years or four years, they were going to be the conference champion. They were going to have a good chance of going undefeated. Last year was a huge, last year was huge for them. Um, it was a big year. I mean, and so this was the fourth year. I, I was right about the third year, but fourth year, man, I thought this was going to be just like a, they were going to just balls to the wall. Amazing. Um, things happened. I mean, having, not having a stable quarterback that, that really hurt. Um, but I mean, I guess I think the reason that they are the most, you know, disappointing team is that going from 10 and three, going from a six or seven game win and winning streak at the end of the season to, you know, just awful, God awful this year. Uh, it makes them disappointing. And, you know, you had those games at the beginning of the year against Virginia Tech and North Carolina that probably ill-advised to schedule in general, to have them both in the same year. But, you know, you want to be competitive and you want to be able to bring in recruits by saying, hey, we're going to be playing these ACC teams each year. Yeah, I just I, – I expected a lot more from this team. I was so excited to see them this year because last year just, you know, I was ecstatic. And then just to see them just kind of just implode, it was just – it's it just – it was really disappointing. Um, and I know Coach Wilder, I know all the guys, they're just so disappointed. And I know next year will be a better year. I mean, our offensive line has kind of figured itself out. We have a lot of guys that are going to return. We only had eight seniors this year. So um, you expect them to be better, but I, I would say ODU. Western Kentucky is definitely up there. Uh, even though Marshall had like a decent season, I still think Marshall every year, if they don't go 9-3, and three, that's a disappointing season for them. Um, yeah. With, with Marshall, like, they had an extremely strong start to the year, and I think they should be, I think they should be proud of a lot of the things they accomplished, like statistically, um, namely their offensive line. They that offensive line, oh, especially yeah. in terms of pass protection, is incredible. So, yeah. um, but I just I think with you know the way that their win loss record kind of shook out at the end of the year, um, you know, with with just seven wins. I think that's a little bit of a disappointment, but you know, it, it was they were still a ton of fun to watch. So I, I wouldn't say I would, Marshall was the biggest disappointment for me this year. I would say if you're going to go just based week to week what you thought was going to happen and then what actually happened, I would give it to UTSA. If we're just going solely based on the whole season as a whole, not from the beginning, because UTSA, dude, they started off hot and then just like all imploded on them. So like that, if I was that fan base, I would be like, holy crap, what happened? Like, what happened? Yeah, they were, because I, I went back and forth on them because I they they made bowl eligibility. They they um, cranked out a few upsets, um, but at the same time, and they and they beat Baylor, so that's good. 
So I think they have a few, they have like one or two more high points than some of the other programs that I had to think about. But um, yeah, UTSA's year, I, I think that was a little bit off of what that fan base was expecting. And I don't know. I thought they would win like one more game this year. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't, at the start of the year, I thought, I didn't think they were going to win the West or win the conference, but I, you know, I thought they'd win one or two more games. Yeah. So that's that question. Yeah. Um, okay. So is the fact that conference USA had 10 bowl eligible teams this year due to the fact that the league is stronger or just more mediocre across the board? Stronger. There's, there's no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. You you have you have teams that weren't good that are now good. You have teams that were good that are lower tier because they have to play the good teams. I think we were a more mediocre conference the last few years, and then this year it just kind of all exploded. And, I mean, we've always been probably one of the better G5 teams, G5 conferences, and that's because, I mean, if you look at our bowl record the last few seasons, we go pretty well. We do pretty well for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But I think this year, I, I, I don't... if. I don't see us losing many games in the, in the bowl games. And I think that's because we do have a good conference. I think we're a good conference and I think it's more competitive. I mean, you look at the conference, you look at the records of most of the conference teams. I mean, you have most teams four and four, four and four, three and five, things like that. I think it's, I, I do think the one thing that I will say is that I think the East is far more superior than the West. And I think that could change with UAB and Southern Miss kind of, you know, getting the groove. Um, but I, it's just, we're a good, it's a competitive conference and you want to, you want to see that. You don't want to see, you don't want to see one amazing team. You don't want to see a Marshall or a Western Kentucky every year that just wins it every year. You don't want to see an Alabama. I think what makes this question kind of interesting is yes, there's definitely a lot stronger competition at the, uh, at the top of the league, a lot closer competition, I should say. Um, but then you also kind of have to consider we had three teams combined for two wins this year in UTEP, Charlotte, and Rice. So I think well, yeah, we have the bottom end, but every team has every conference has their bottom feeders. <clears throat> it's just how it is. It's 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 the middle of the it's limiting that to the same like three teams each year, and it usually is. It's usually it's going to be Charlotte, Rice, UTEP every year, and you might have another team that's kind of in there too every once in a while. But you know I, that's why I think we're a stronger conference because you have. You have 11 teams in the conference, or 12 teams, or yeah, 11 teams that all could have been bowl eligible. So 11 of 11 of 14 is a pretty good number. Okay, um, so that's our thoughts on that question. Appreciate you guys tossing that one at us. And here's another one: Does UAB beat Ohio in the Bahamas Bowl this year? Um, I think they definitely can. I think this is going to be a good battle between two really good rushing offenses. Uh, Ohio scored more points than anybody in the MAC this year, and they defend the run really well, but they do not defend the pass all that well. So if AJ Erdely has a good day, then yes, I think UAB wins the Bahamas Bowl. I agree. Um, obviously, Ohio Ohio is like supposed to win. I mean, I think they're pretty high. They're supposed to like they're. Uh... The predictor is like seventy four percent or something like that. Okay. Um, it'll be interesting. I think they're both they're really like kind of similar teams in what it is. Uh, UAB has the better running backs, um, but the quarterbacks are very similar in like pretty much every regard. I mean, within seventy yards of each other when it comes to p- passing, uh, both have 15, 15 and sixteen touchdowns. 
a uh, few interceptions. I think it's just basically who's going to limit the, the turnovers because this game, I think this game's a lot different for most teams because this game is um, on this turf to college isn't nice. It's it's pretty bad. So it's going to be a you know, game. So you want, you're going to want to like basically limit the mistakes as much as possible, especially on the defensive end, and be able to have your chance. <sighs> Excuse me. Um, uh, the one thing I will say is that Ohio is a pretty decent defensive team, mm-hmm. and that'll kind of I think that could play the dif- difference. And if Ohio can, you know, play stout defense and you limit AJ early and his ability to do what he does, then they could win it. Right, and uh, that's the thing. When you look at both of these teams, they're both very good rushing teams, and they both defend the rush pretty well. But in terms of passing, both offensively and defensively, it's it's pretty even. They're both kind of okay in that department. Yeah. So the one thing the one thing I will say is that uh, there's a team that pretty pretty uh, similar to a UA, to UAB that they lost to. Um, maybe not as much as I thought, but I thought the Akron was pretty close to them when it came to like how Akron plays and how Ohio plays or how UAB plays. Mm-hmm. So that's what I I kind of assumed like you know they Akron Akron you know they they have a really good quarterback. Uh, they're not like they're not as good as UAB is on the ground rushing, mm-hmm. but they have a guy that can like churn out the ball. I mean, so it, it, I I don't know. I think Spencer Brown is probably the key player in the game for UAB. If they win the game, that'll be like really what happened, like how it happens. So I don't know. Okay. Life. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that'll be a really entertaining game. So that one will be on the radar as well. Um, and last question that we got, um, and I'll just give this one to you. What hope does Old Dominion have in 2018? I think a lot. Um, I don't want to jinx it, but I just um, I think with Duhart coming back, I still think we have really good running back core, and it just didn't show as much this year. But we have we have Jeremy Cox coming back, who I'm pretty sure was our season. He was our leader this year because Ray was out for a couple games. Um, we have a lot of young guys that are really good. Okay, uh, I'd yeah. like to see us become a more option team. Yeah. I, I think that kind of works better with what they've built up in the past and uh, with Stevie Williams, too. I think that gives him a little more room for error. Exactly. That wraps up the Q&A section. Thank you guys for submitting those. Um, we'll probably do another off-season one um, at some points. Um, so if you have recruiting questions or predictions about uh, next season, be thinking about that, and then we'll put out a tweet uh, soliciting those at some point. Um, and with that, we can just go ahead and preview week 14. Um, so we only have two games this week. First of all, uh, UMass is heading to FIU for a noon game there in Miami. Um, UMass, not a great team. Um, if you kind of look at their body of work this year, um, have had some pretty tough games against, um, teams with similar styles to, um, FIU. Um, they are four and seven, and here's their wins this year: Georgia Southern, who is bad; uh, Appalachian State, who's okay; Maine, who's an FCS team; and BYU, who is also bad. So, Correct. yeah, <laughs> um, I, I like FIU's chances very much, and the fact that they're playing at home 
I think is a big advantage for them. They've played extremely well uh, on their home turf this year. Now, let me ask you, do you know the one common opponent that they both played and both lost to this year? F.I. Oh, Old Dominion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually think this is going to be a closer game than people think. Um, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I think FIU is a good team, but I think for some reason UMass has gotten better as the year's gone on. Um, so it, I think FIU will win this game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout like many people probably think it's going to be. I think maybe 10 points. So. Okay. Um, Simple. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so we're in agreement on that one. Um, and then we have the the Big Daddy, the Conference USA Championship uh, in Boca, I believe. I, is it in Boca, or I thought it was in it Tampa? Is in, it, no, it's in Boca. Okay, it's in Boca. Uh, at noon on ESPN2 in the Watch ESPN app. Uh, North Texas always, at Florida Atlantic. What'd you say? I said it's always in Boca, Philly. Oh, is it? Oh, I... Or I no, know. it's not always in Boca. It's always in the the um, team with the best conference records, home field. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know why I had it in my head that I was in Tampa for some reason. Maybe I I was talking to somebody about it who works for Conference USA the other day, and I guess they just misspoke. Um, but maybe you're talking basketball. Maybe, but um, that's in Texas. But anyway, you're in Texas. <sighs> Sorry. All my exes live in Texas, so why would I go there? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm George Strait? Question mark. Yes, I am George Strait. But it, that's canon. Um, but you know, long story short, here I think FIU or I think FAU's got it. Um, that rushing attack is incredible. I think the um, I think they've cleaned up all the mistakes from earlier in the year, and I think the second half against Charlotte last week was uh, something of an anomaly. So I, I feel really good about FAU's chances to wrap this up, especially since uh, North Texas's rushing defense is uh, has been 11th in the league this year in terms of uh, average yards allowed. Uh, only teams worse than them are Old Dominion, Charlotte, and UTEP. So I think we're going to see something similar to what happened. Um, maybe not um, as much of a beatdown, but I think FAU is able to put some distance between themselves and the Mean Green and get that conference championship in Lane Kiffin's first year. No, I agree completely. I mean, so the thing I think is different is I think UNT is going to come in this game angry. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I would. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be a closer game, and I think it's going to be – you might see UNT actually come out, like, good and, you know, be up by, like, 10 right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I think FAU is just a better team, and I think they end up, like, pulling this one out. It's it's going to be close, though. I think within a touchdown, I would assume. Do you have a final score prediction? I'm going to say 35 to 31. Okay. 35 to 31. I mean, that I hope it's that close. It'll be really interesting. Yeah, I think So this is what I think is going to happen. Okay. 30, it's going to be 30, 35 to 24, and then they're just going to get a garbage touchdown. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. They definitely have that capability. Um, to like quick strike, but um, yeah, I think if I think when it's all said and done, FAU is going to get the conference title. So um, it, it's been a it's been a fun year in this league to watch for sure, and it's only fitting that we have these two teams meeting in the conference championship game, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it'll be an interesting game to watch, especially. Um, I think we were right when we said you know the conference champion was going to have three losses. So good for us, dilly dilly. 
<laughs> dilly dilly. Awesome. So that wraps up our uh, another edition of the Conference USA podcast. We appreciate everybody listening and submitting questions for the Q&A this week. Um, probably haven't decided what our off-season schedule will be just yet, um, but we'll let you know as soon as we figure it out. Um, and for future notes on how the podcast is going to you know, proceed through the off-season, you can follow um, at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, like them on Facebook as well. And you can follow Satchel and myself on Twitter. I am at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore, and Satchel is at Z-I-F-F underscore 15. With that note, just note all the uh, goofy stuff we do on social media. If you go to my um, Instagram, it's the same as my Twitter, you can see what my um, punishment was for losing our bet a couple of weeks ago. Satchel was my man crush Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you... Wasn't our the Rice North Texas game this week? It was. It okay. Was. Um, I honestly have not yet decided what what uh, your punishment is, but uh, we'll figure it out. Um, I'll Sounds probably <laughs> I'll probably have you do something related to North Texas as I did the first time, but uh, you know we'll we'll see what happens with that. Um, at any rate, thank you guys for listening once again. Um, it's been a really fun regular season, and let's keep it rolling into the bowl season. Um, I completely forgot about that when I was talking about that earlier. But yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, have, cor- to have, we'll have a bowl game. Bowl talk. Yeah, of course. We'll, we'll keep it going with bowl talk this week once that schedule, or maybe not this week, but once that schedule gets finalized, we will be sure to talk about that. Um, with that, I will say have a great week. I hope you guys had a fun Thanksgiving. Satchel, what's your sign-off? I'm just going to go with, bye. Have a good life. Aspire to be the best person you can be. Go for it. All right. I I won't (laughs) be. French chef. Happy football watching, everybody.